Hey, just a heads up that the following content may be disturbing or triggering for some listeners and is not appropriate for children. Please take care of yourself and others who may be listening with you. Welcome to the Bonus Babies Podcast, a show that has no easy answers, only hard questions. Her mom has significant mental health challenges, and so she was in the county psychiatric ward. And so I was able to do the visits myself and bring Haley there twice a week to see her mom. And I got to build a relationship with her mom. And I wanted to get to know her, and I wanted her to get to know us because I can't imagine anything worse than losing your child, right? Like having your child taken away from you. And so I wanted her mom to feel good about us and to know that her baby was okay. And so I wanted her to know me and I wanted her to know that I would always support their relationship. Can you tell me what you call the kids who you've cared for over the years? We feel that the children that we receive coming into our home are bonuses. So we call them bonus babies. I love that. This is your host, Jane Amelia Larson, and I'm Akasa, a court-appointed special advocate volunteer for youth in foster care. Yeah, I know, it's a mouthful. In the same way Akasa works, I explore all things in the foster care maze by talking to kids, parents, caregivers, attorneys, social workers, therapists, really anybody and everybody who will speak to me to keep the conversation open and the information flowing about all things CASA. Hi, this is Jake Eberly, the producer of the Bonus Babies podcast, and today Jane Amelia speaks with Jen Stern. Jen was a foster parent and then became an adoptive mother of a young girl who came into her family when the girl was just an infant. Jen and her husband knew they had more love to give to a child in need, became foster parents, and then opened their home. And with this one little girl, they fought to keep her, and they won. Here's Jen's story. Okay, so I'm here with Jennifer Stern. Hi. Hi. Nice to see you. So you have a really interesting adoption journey, and I, I want to hear about that. But before I do, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and who you are, how you were raised? What was your home life like? Yeah. I'm one of four girls. I'm the oldest of four. I grew up in Mesa, Arizona, um, a long way from where I live now, um, and had a pretty, you know, sort of all-American childhood and growing up journey. Um, got married kind of late in life. We got married, well, we had our daughter and then we got married. So we had our daughter when I was 39 um, and then got married when I was 40. So I'm a mom. I am a CEO of a nonprofit Friend, family member, daughter, right. sister, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Okay, great. So you have one biological daughter, and then you decided to start fostering. But what led to that? Yeah. Because that was a little complicated, right? It was a little complicated, yes. So probably two years after having our daughter, we decided we wanted to expand our family. Like many women and couples out there, we had a pretty difficult time of that. Um, I had actually frozen eggs before I met my husband. We tried using those. It didn't work. Um, We ended up trying IUI. We ended up um, actually using a donor and went through the process of creating embryos with a donor egg. We ended up with, I think, like 18 really excellent embryos. Um, implanted one, and I ended up pregnant with twins. Um, But then it was a high-risk pregnancy, 
and I ended up losing the twins at about 18 weeks. Um, oh, I'm sorry. That must have been really rough. Yeah. It was it was really rough. But at that point in time, we just sort of said, we're done. Right? This is the universe telling us that our family is our family, and we have one beautiful daughter, and we love her to death. And this is an amazing family, and we're really lucky and blessed. And this is it. right? This is the universe telling us that this is the family we're meant to have. And I would say we sat with that for probably two or three years. And then the home just felt really empty to me. You know, I'm the oldest of four girls and we had a loud, very loud and boisterous home. And our (laughs) home was quiet. And I just said to my husband, like, this is easy. Like, it's too easy. This is not family to me. Family to me is chaos and noise and children arguing and like just... It doesn't feel like home, right? And just this like calm, quiet house. And so I suggested to him that we think about fostering. And we had decided that we did not want to adopt. We felt like there were families out there who were desperate to grow their family. And that wasn't us. Like we felt very blessed and very um, just lucky to have each other and our daughter. But we felt like we had space in our home, space in our lives, space in our hearts. And so we felt like fostering would be the way that we could grow our family, um, fully recognizing that it could be temporary or permanent. To be honest, we thought that it would be good for our daughter to spend some time not as an only child. She was demonstrating some only child behaviors. Um, And so we wanted her to learn (laughs) what sharing meant and what it meant not to be the center of a family's universe. And we wanted her to understand what it meant to open your home and that there were kids that were less fortunate than her and that we could be a support for her. And so we had talked to her about it. She had been asking us for siblings for a very long time. So we talked to her about um, taking in a kid whose parents weren't able to take care of them while their parents were working on it. Um, And she was like, I would love to do that. And then she said, maybe we could take Elliot next time Molly has to go to the supermarket. And that was the mom across the street and her son, Elliot. So we were uh-huh. like, no, it's not, it's not that. Like, it's not like taking a little <laughs> kid across the street when like Molly has to go to the store, right? Like this is parents that really can't take care of their kids, right? Like not because of an errand. Um, but so she was excited about it and excited to sort of um, go on that journey. And so we decided to do that when she was, I want to say, five years old, probably, is when we just, you know, made the decision. My husband and I, I remember, went out to dinner and said, do we really want to do this? Like, life is easy. Life is good. Are we really sure we want to sort of put this disruption, right? Like, it's a pretty big change to bring another child into our home and a child that might have challenges. Did you have any idea how difficult it might be? Like, had you heard stories? Yeah. Or... So a woman on my team um, who I work with very closely has been a foster mom. And she's had um, multiple foster kids in her life. But she had one where she took him in as a baby. And then he was reunified with his mom. And then that didn't work. And she took him back again. And so I had seen that journey um, and the challenges that she had had. Yeah. So we had some idea. We did. Right. That push-pull. Right. Yeah. And a lot of heartbreak sometimes. Right. Yeah, and you were open to sibling sets and no. babies and everything? No. <laughs> no. Okay. So when we started, we had uh, explicitly said we only wanted a child between ages two and five, and we only wanted a single because our daughter was six, and we thought we want a child younger than her, but we want a child that's like past baby stage. And we were on the list for probably six months waiting for that single child between the ages of two and five. 
And finally, our caseworker said, that's just not where the need is, right? If you want to be a foster family, you have to be open to either sibling pairs, like siblings or babies, right? That is where the need is. And we said, we don't, like, we just don't think a sibling pair is right for our family because we felt like our daughter might feel on the outside of siblings. Um, and so we, we looked at each other, you know, again, I was 47, 46 at the time, my husband was 48. We we're like, we are way too old to do this. <laughs> um, but if we're serious about wanting to be a family and sort of being available for kids who need us, let's do it. Um, and so I think what we were not clear about is we had totally forgotten how hard it is to have a baby, right? Like that had been so far in the past that we just were completely naive to babies, right? Even though we had had one and raised one, that was a brand new, like we just had forgotten it all, right? And yeah, also yeah. that time I had been pregnant, I'd gone on maternity leave for four months, right? right? Like we just had a different setup. Um, and so being older this time, um, and, you know, given zero notice and an inability to sort of take a bunch of maternity leave, like it all sort of compounded and how hard, um, it was. So, so we had decided to take a baby. And as soon as we said that to our caseworker, we started getting a call almost every day. Wow. I mean, it was wow. heartbreaking, the need. The first call we got my husband was traveling for work. By the time I called him and got a hold of him and called them back, they had found a new family. Then the second and third both had moms who had um, had meth addictions, and so they had serious health issues. And my husband and I both worked full time, so we didn't feel like we could take a child that had um, serious health challenges. Yes, yeah, very difficult. Yeah. The fourth was Native American. And there are all sorts of rules that guide um, the foster system for Native yes, American right. children. That's right, very complicated. Yes, and we didn't yes. want to deal with that. <laughs> the fifth, they had identified out-of-state family. So they knew from the get-go that that child would be moving toward placement with out-of-state relatives, which didn't feel like a fit. And then the sixth was our daughter, Haley. So they, Haley. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they called us and said, we have a baby. Um, you know, she's a 10 on APGAR. Um, we don't think her mom, you know, had serious drug or alcohol addictions, although we did find out from her mom later that that was not entirely true. But she seemed healthy. She was four days old. They called four days, four old. days old. Wow. And they said, can you come get her tonight? Right. And they called me at noon. Um, and so I called my husband and said, all right, you want to do this? There's a baby waiting for us in the hospital. We'll pick Let's her up go. tonight. Let's go. Wow. <laughs> and he went with our daughter to Target and picked up some diapers and a pack and play. And we went to the hospital, picked her up. Wow. Yeah. And you took her home that night. We took her home that night. And yeah. uh, we were like, gosh, she's small. <laughs> she was so little. Um, she was, I mean, she was beautiful. She was a beautiful little baby. She was also a terrible sleeper. Um, so we, so we set it up with work. Um, well, I'm, I'm the CEO of our nonprofit. So I set it up with work where I would work. Excellent. It's very good to be the CEO, yes. right? <laughs> and I said, I can get all my high priority stuff done in two days a week. And then I'm going to take maternity leave three days a week for six weeks until we can put her in daycare. And that will give me long enough to find a daycare for her. And then a guy on my team, his wife offered to watch her the other two days of the week which was such a blessing. And she had been a former au pair and former nanny. She was 
more qualified than we were. And so um, we had sort of care set for those first six weeks while I found a daycare for her. And what was also really nice about that is her mom has significant mental health challenges. And so she was in the county psychiatric ward. I see. And so I was able to do the visits myself and bring Haley there twice a week to see her mom. And I got to build a relationship with her mom. I see. So, so that happened right away. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, that's quite excellent. And you were open to it and you supported it and you facilitated it. I did. And I wanted to get to know her and I wanted her to get to know us because I can't imagine anything worse than losing your child, right? Like having your child taken away from you. And so I wanted her mom to feel good about us and to know that her baby was okay. And so I wanted her to know me and I wanted her to know that I would always support their relationship. And then she's still with you now because you ended up having legal guardianship. We but there was legal guardians. Mm-hmm. Right. But, so, but it got complicated. So how did that play out? It got very complicated. So we got to know her mom pretty well. I did through the first six weeks. And then... Um, She had twice a week visits that the county facilitated after that. Probably three or four months in, her mom made a pro and cons list about reunification versus us adopting her daughter and decided that was what was best for her daughter was for us to be her forever family. So she said to the um, caseworker, I want to terminate my rights and I want this family to adopt her which is amazing, right? Like so selfless. And the caseworker said, well, that's fine, but it doesn't work that way because there's also a dad and he, you you can't, they can't adopt without him also terminating his rights. And so it turns out that her mom did know who the dad was, even though on the birth certificate, she said she didn't. And so she put the county in touch with him. They did a paternity test. He confirmed paternity. He was in jail at the time. Right. He was incarcerated. And he, um, he said, no, he said that he wanted his sister to take her. And so that created some tension, right? Right. So was he thinking that the sister could take her and then he would eventually have her? No. No, because he wasn't getting out, right? No, no, no. He's out. He's out. And he's had, um, and in fact, I'm actually Facebook friends with him now and he seems to be doing really well, but he was not interested in parenting. I think his, he just wanted I think he loves his sister, and I think his sister also had wanted to have more children. I think he thought he could have a stronger relationship with her, which is true, if his sister had her. And so I think it was just driven by, I like, I want my family, right? I understand that, right? If if there was a kid out there, I'd want that kid in my, you know, in my family. Um, and so he wanted his sister to take her, and so. That started a different process where they started doing the assessment of his sister, her family, for permanent placement in parallel with Haley's mom continuing her own work, right? So Haley's mom was in a series of different in-house rehabilitation um, Mm -hmm. and then also outsourced rehabilitation. Right. And all this time you're falling in love with Haley. Oh, we, yes, we love her. Right. Yes. She is becoming your daughter. She's our daughter. I mean, we always said she's our daughter, right? We took her home at four days old. Like she's, she calls us mom and dad. Like she was our daughter, but we also knew that she might not be our permanent daughter, but we anchored on 
we're going to give her the best possible start to her life where she's only going to know love, right? And we're going to do everything we can so that those foundational years are good ones for her while we're going through this. And so we met her aunt and uncle and cousin. They came out in December when she was a little over a year old. So the first year was, the first six to nine months was very much about her mom and her rehabilitation and working toward, you know, unsupervised visits, working toward reunification. And then I'd say about a year in, the county started moving toward permanency placement with a termination of parental rights process. And so then over the holidays, Haley's aunt and uncle um, came out to meet her and we had a family session and um, her mom's dad came as well. So it was Hmm. Haley's mom, Haley's grandpa, her aunt and uncle and cousin and us, and then the guardian ad litem and the caseworkers. And we just had a session about how we could like a family planning session and how we could all support her and support what's best for her. And in that session, we said, like, we will, we love her. Like, we'll do whatever is best for her. And we will be a part of that. Like, if that means we cut off communication with her when she moves out to another state, we'll do that. If that means we stay in her life in an aggressive way, we'll do that. Like, we will do whatever we all collectively think is in this child's best interest. And her mom didn't want her moving to another state. Right. For multiple reasons. She didn't have a strong relationship with the dad's sister. So she knew she just, that relationship was frayed. And also she'd be far away. Right, right. She was like, but what I want is this family. Um, I think it's worth saying somewhere around here, we also hired a lawyer. (laughs) Yes, which helped you a lot, right? Because you got, you were able to gather information and you were able to figure out what was going on. We had no idea. They treat foster families so badly. And they just, we didn't know what was happening. You know what? I want people to really hear this because I've heard this repeatedly from many foster parents that you're very much left in the dark and very much unsupported sometimes. And people don't realize that, that it's a really hard job, really hard job to do well. Mm -hmm. And uh, then there's, you don't get a lot of support. No, you are completely ancillary to the process, right? Like they don't tell you how, like, you know, we didn't know how her mom was doing on her plan. We didn't know um, what was happening in those visits. We didn't know what was happening in terms of their own planning for permanency. We didn't know when they were switching their strategies. They told us nothing, nothing through the entire process. And so the only way that we started to learn things is when I finally talked to a lawyer and I said, we don't want to litigate this. Like, we don't want to fight the system, but we do want to, we don't feel like there's an advocate for this child, right? Like, and the guardian ad litem was supposed to be that advocate, but we had a brand new guardian ad litem and she was pretty useless. Right, right. She wasn't good. I didn't think she was good. I didn't think she knew what she was doing. I thought she was in over her head. And so we didn't feel like there was somebody advocating for this child. So we hired a lawyer so that we would know what was going on and that there was somebody sitting in the room who we felt good was advocating for this child because we felt like we were the only ones with that lens. And that like the law is toward reunification, period, right? And then the law is toward family placement with family being about DNA, not being about family, right? Like we felt like we were her family and they were prioritizing 
an aunt in another state who had never met her and who didn't have a relationship with her mom, who was the like prominent figure in her life, right? Like from the, from her biological family. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we just felt like we wanted visibility into what was happening. Right. And you said something that really struck me. You said families are about love. So what, what does that mean to you? Yeah. So for us, it's always been that the more people in Haley's life that love her, the better. And that if there are biological relatives that want to love her, we welcome them. But if there are non-biological people who want to love her, we welcome them too, right? That it is about who loves her, cares for her, trusts her, and can support her, right? Like, and I think some of the reason that like that's our lens is remember, like, we were gonna go with donor embryos, right? Like donor eggs. And so that was not my DNA. And in fact, we've donated those donor embryos to single moms by choice, right? So like oh, you have really we have, interesting. Right? Because yeah. I wanted to let other people have their family that they always wanted. And so we have this sort of DNA that is out there, but those aren't mm. our kids. Like those are those, those families, right? Like then that family is because that mom wanted that child so much that they were willing to sort of move mountains, right? And so to have these embryos that they could then have their baby. And I, we picked single moms by choice just because like, I was an older mom. A lot of my friends have ended up being single moms by choice, and they're often deprioritized in systems, right? Yes. And so mm-hmm. we just, that's who we picked, right, to give those embryos to. And so I think in all for us, like, DNA does not make a family. Being present makes a family. Loving a kid. And, and so we have Haley's mom as a part of Haley's family, Haley's grandma, Haley's great-grandma, Haley's half uncle, Haley's aunt, right? Like all these people were connected to and I want her to know them. Like her grandma and great grandma from her biological grandma and great grandma FaceTime every single week with her. They are a much more real part of her family than her biological father who has never seen her. Never, never once seen her. Never seen her. And his rights were terminated because he never showed up for court, not once. Never showed up. Never showed up for his plan. Never showed up for court. And so I have a hard time saying that he is more family than grandparents who FaceTime with her every single week. Right? Even though his rights were at one point, you know, the dominant ones. Right, so you had the means to hire an attorney. How did you get the idea for that? Because you realized you're in the dark, and unless we have somebody advocating for us, this is going to end badly for Haley. Yeah, you know, I don't even, I'm trying to think how we got that idea. Somebody, I don't even remember who suggested it. It might have even been the caseworker. Yeah, you had a good caseworker, right? Excellent. Um, Our caseworker who represented us, he was experienced, but he was pretty not involved. Haley's caseworker, who was also her mom's, was very seasoned and very good and very by the book. She ensured that Haley's mom was getting every support and resource with rehab, with mental health support, with housing, um, was really guiding her through a process to really help her. And multiple times it felt like Haley's mom would get there, you know, and then she would just sort of have a real challenge, right? So she is schizophrenic bipolar 
And that's a really challenging mm. situation. And um, her mental health, she would be doing great. And then she would sort of stumble. And then next thing I know, she would be homeless again, or she would be just disappearing, right? And then she would sort of get back on track and do really, really well and really show up. And then she would stumble again and go off her meds and disappear again, go homeless again and get involved with a bad crowd again. And so she just had, after probably two or three of these cycles, it became clear to everyone, including the caseworker, that it was time to shift toward termination of parental rights and um, looking for a more permanent option. Right. So then things continued and there started to be a little bit of contention, right? You know, there was, I actually think our case was one of, I, I may have had one of the best experiences of any parent, foster parent ever. We never had contention. Oh, good. Good. Um, in that room, we all agreed we wanted what was best. Things moved forward. We all went to like a Crayola experience together and we all hung out <laughs> together. We went to a meal together and we had hired a lawyer. So we knew what was happening. And our lawyer would call the different lawyers, the lawyer for Haley's mom, the lawyer for the county to try to find out what was happening. And she also encouraged me to print out all the documents, which I hadn't known to do. Excellent. But I would yeah. go into the county and I would just print I mean, I probably printed 2,000 pages, right? Because they take notes on every visit. The guardian ad litem puts in notes before every hearing. And so I would print literally hundreds of pages. Right. So you were allowed to actually copy them and remove them from the court? Because I don't think, I don't think you can do that in California. Yeah. As a foster parent, I was allowed to. Wow. Interesting. I, I had to go in and I had to print them there, but I was allowed to print them. They were public record, right? The... All of the observer notes for the supervised visits and all of the guardian ad litem notes and all of the caseworker notes were all public record. Right. So I want also for people to know that you hired and paid for your own attorney, but presumably, and I'm assuming this is true for where you are, the father and the mother would have had an attorney provided them by the county. They did. Yeah, they did. Yep. Okay. So, but you had to get your own project. I had to get my own and I had to pay for my own and I had to pay to print those documents. <laughs> right? Like I spent hours printing those darn documents. Like it was a very slow system. And then you had to like pay cash to get them, you know? <laughs> so, wow. um, so, and then archaic, I had to read through right? all of them. And then I had to update the lawyer on what they said because my lawyer wasn't allowed to print them. Right. Um, so our lawyer found out that Haley's mom had decided to put in her own petition to transfer guardianship to us. So the county was moving forward with a termination of parental rights, but then Haley's mom had put forward a counter petition to transfer guardianship to us. Wow, interesting. Hmm. And so it culminated in December 2019 behind closed doors. So the other thing I learned is nothing happens in court when everybody is there. Everything happens behind the scenes in closed right. session. Like right. when I would, I went to every single hearing, every single one, no session lasted more than three minutes. The judge would say, keep going, stick with your plan and continuation of, you know, the case. And we'd move on. I mean, every single time that was what would happen in the hearing. And so that was part of the reason I also wanted a lawyer was to know what was happening in all those closed sessions. And so what we heard happened in December is the judge said to all the lawyers, I don't know what to do with this. I have two competing petitions. I have a petition from the county to terminate parental rights 
and then move toward adoption with a relative out of state across the country. And I have a petition from Haley's mom to transfer guardianship to the foster family. What do you all think is the right thing to do? And the guardian ad litem said, I think it's the right thing to transfer guardianship because this family has a strong relationship with her mom and it will maintain the connection. Her mom's lawyer said, obviously, this is what we want is to transfer guardianship. We think that's what's in the best interest of both her mom and also Haley. The county said, we agree that that's in her best interest. However, we have pursued this, we have looked into it, and we do not think the law will allow us to support that. And they had gone through a process, they had interviewed us, they'd, they'd explored whether or not they could do that, and they had come to the decision that they could not, that they had to move forward with a relative adoption. And so the lawyer was like, well, I don't want to have to choose between these two things. I don't want to have to rule against a mom who's been working hard, and I don't want to have to rule against a family placement. So you all are going to have to come up with a solution here. And so they went away, and what they ultimately agreed is that Haley's mom had been doing really well and had... and. By the way, she's so smart. That was intentional. She knew the longer that she delayed this, the more likely it would be for Haley to end up with us. Uh, so she was rigging it. That's great. She was great. rigging the system. And she, her yeah. lawyer told our lawyer that, that she was purposely, she, she wanted to, at three months, she was ready to terminate her rights. And then when they said no, she then started working on her case plan and asking for more case plans and asking for more case plans, and right? And like delaying it, Right. Um, until finally they said, we're not giving you any more time. But she had continued to work really, really hard and continued to show up. And so they said, we're not sure we actually can win this thing. And so given that we may not win a termination of parental rights hearing because she's actually working her plan and doing a really good job, only because of that will we withdraw our petition because we want permanency for this child. This child is one and a half years old. It's time to move to a permanent solution. So because her mom is doing really well, we'll withdraw our petition to terminate rights and support a petition for a permanent option with guardianship. And so we had that hearing in early March 2020. Um, and at that point in time, Haley's dad's rights had been terminated because he hadn't shown up for anything. So it was really just her mom saying, this is what I want. And us saying, like, we, you know, we will take that responsibility and we will you know, be her permanent guardians. And that's what happened. And you that's are what her permanent guardians. We right? are. We got the documents in probably June 2020. Right. And she's four now? She'll be four in August. Does she have any idea of the history of what's happened? Because she's been meeting her mom. Right. Yes, ish. So, you know, because her mom is ups and downs, also what happened during COVID is the visit stopped. That's right. And yeah. so that was, you know, she was one and a half when the visit stopped. And so um, for a while, once we got out of like lockdown, we um, we started doing outside dates at a playground near her mom's house and we would try to see her. But the frequency what dialed way back. Right. And then also sometimes her mom is healthy and sometimes her mom isn't healthy. So when she's healthy, she shows up. But when she's not, she chooses not to. And so we haven't really seen her in almost a year. 
I've reached out a couple of times to say, you know, we'd love to see you, right? Can we find time to get together? But if she's not doing well, she'll sort of say like, it's not a good time for me, right? Like I'm, I see. I'm just not having, I'm not in a good place right now. Um, or a couple weekends ago, we were supposed to get together and I was like, meet us here, right? And it was one of the places we'll frequently meet. And then I got a message afterward that, that she um, just slept in late, woke up late, couldn't figure it out, but hopefully we'll meet up with us another time. So she sort of flakes on us. And so I've explained to Haley that she was in her mom's belly and that she, we picked her up, we met her at the hospital and we fell in love with her and decided that she was the missing link in our family. We took her home and that her mom couldn't take care of her, but her mom picked us and we picked her, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, um, that's nice. That's, and, a, that's a nice way to explain it. Yeah. Which is actually true, right? Like her mom did yeah. pick us and we did pick her. And so, um, she, but she doesn't, she doesn't yet ask questions. She doesn't yet understand it. I think it's funny. Her grandma and great grandma are both black and I'm clearly not my husband, right? Like we're a very white family and our daughter Haley is blonde haired, blue eyed. So right. when we try to explain to her that she's part black, she just like looks at us like we're crazy. And she's like, but I'm white, <laughs> you know, cause she's three and a half. She doesn't really understand it. And so she also hasn't understood or asked the question as to why her grandmas that she talks to every week are black. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. she doesn't look like them, but also her grandmas call Eliana, who's our biological daughter. They're like, Eliana, it's grandma, right? And they call her their granddaughter too. And so for Haley, again, it's just this expanded view of family where here are two more grandmas who love her and Eliana, right? And right. I don't think right. she yet understands the DNA connections of all of it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting when see what happens when she's 13 or 14 and, and stuff starts to come up. So how did your daughter, Ileana, is that? That's Ileana. Mm-hmm. How did she handle it? Because it must have been kind of tense in the home, even if you were handling things really well. Yeah, you know, we, um, we just told her all along, we may not get to keep her. We may not get to keep her. And kids are really resilient. I actually feel like she was handling that better than we were in some ways. She was like, okay, we may not get to keep her, right? Like, and she just would say to her friends, this is my sister, but she may be going back to her, you know, her mom, or she may be going to other family. We may not get to keep her. Have you thought about fostering other kids or is... <laughs> <laughs> Yes and no. <laughs> so they, um, they have asked us, right? Like our caseworker was like, we would love for you if you ever want to do it again. And we were like, we are a one and done. Like we had a wonderful experience in the sense that we have our missing daughter, right? Like it's our, our family is complete. And we were so tired, right? Being older parents and dealing with a baby was a terrible experience that we will never do again, um, <laughs> ever, ever, ever. And so I think it would be more likely maybe at some point that we would consider doing more temporary fostering, right? Like not with a path towards permanency, which is what we were looking for. And we knew it wasn't necessarily, but we were sort of screening for where we thought it could end in permanency with Haley. 
but I just, I think we're pretty tired, right? Like we've got two young kids, two kids under 10, and we both work full time and our house is really crazy. And it's all the things I think of with family. And so I just don't, we felt like we had all this space. I don't know that we feel like we have all this space anymore. So I think the chances that we would foster again are maybe like 5%. Yeah, I guess um, if you got the that certain call that you couldn't refuse, maybe that. Uh... And that's the thing I worry about and half expect is that her mom will have another kid. Ah, and yes. so they asked us about that too, right? Would we take in Haley's half sibling? Really, that's already come up in conversation. Oh, it came wow. up during the process. Yeah, yeah, mm. during the process. And we were like, ah. Oh, yeah, no. Like, I don't know, maybe talk to no. her and say no. Like, I was like, That's, you know, I just would rather have a different conversation about not ending up there. If you were to talk to somebody that was thinking about being a foster parent, mm-hmm. what, what would you say to them? I would say do it. I tell people all the time, I really, really, really believe people should do it. I feel like I have so many friends who have so much space in their lives. They have resources. They have love. They have big houses. And I feel like there are these children and like, that are deeply, deeply in need of families. And so for, I think it's an amazing gift. And I think it's something that everybody should do. I, I really do. I think, you know, I work in education on the nonprofit side and I feel very far from the families and kids we serve. And so this was also my way of sort of getting closer to the kids and families and like really supporting at that that level of that individual child versus sort of at the system change level, which is where my work is most days. But I, I think the foster system treats foster parents very badly, but it's not about the system. It's about these kids. And I think that they're amazing, right? These children are amazing. And in our daughter's case, she is amazing. She's brilliant. She's funny. She's an artist. She's an athlete. She's just, she's sunshine. And part of the reason she's sunshine is because she really doesn't know hardship, right? Like, and I just think about how differently her life could have turned out if we hadn't been there and we hadn't been willing to give her a strong foundation. And I deeply believe she'd be all those things if she ended up with her aunt, right? Like that was another loving, caring family, right? So I think she would have been a success story no matter what. But that success story started with her having a foster family that could take care of her and be there for her. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. If she felt loved right away, it just creates a, 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 a warm environment for her to grow in yeah. and to grow up to be healthy and, and happy and also loving and not nearly as damaged as many kids in care are. You know, they have such a hard time, especially if they go from home to home to home yeah. because the average foster kid doesn't have right. one placement. They, yeah. have, they have dozens sometimes. And you know? it breaks my heart, right? Like it really breaks my heart, right? Because if you can be that family that it can give a kid that start to life, right? Like there's all this research about the power of the first three years, and if you can be that family that gives the kid the right foundation, right? Like they'll feel that love for the rest of their lives, right? Is there anything special about you and your husband that allowed you to do that or? No, no, no. We're, I mean, no, like, like I said, I think we were, I think that the, the advantages we had, 
we had resources to be able to hire a lawyer. Yeah, which was huge. Yes, I huge, yeah. am pretty, like, um, like, I'm good at navigating bureaucracy. I've worked for big school systems. I worked for New York City Department of Education, right? Like, that's a system. So I knew how to navigate the system, which I do think helped. I was committed to building a strong relationship with her mom, her birth mom, and with her mom's family and with her dad's family, right? Like, And that's also huge. That's you know, huge. And I think that's not always the case. I think there are plenty of foster families, especially if they want permanency, that probably aren't as open. Um, so that maybe is a little bit different. And like I said, like literally I'm friends with her dad on Facebook, right? And they all comment on every picture. So I try to post pictures so they can all see them. Her dad, her aunt, her dad's ex-wife who has a daughter who's Haley's half-sibling. We've exchanged messages to sort of compare how they look. Her mom, her grandma, her great-grandma, her half-uncle, her grandpa, right? Like, so we have connected with this big extended family. And I feel like this is where I feel like we've been so lucky because I get messages all the time from all of them telling me how grateful they are and how appreciative they are that we have given Haley a stable, loving home. And every single one of them, without exception, has expressed appreciation to us versus resentment, right? And I do think that is somewhat unusual, even to the point that after the decision was made, her aunt reached out and said, of course, we're disappointed that we don't have her, but we're really glad she's with you if she couldn't be with us. And that's the message I would have left her also. So it felt great to know that like they were also centering on this child, right? And so I get lovely messages, right? Like just these heartfelt messages from her extended family. Just they're all happy that she's doing so well. And that's what they wanted, right? Like I think that's the gift of our situation. Every single person without exception wants what's best for this kid and is happy that she's thriving. You know, I wish there were more people like you and your husband that were stepping up to be foster parents because you've obviously made a huge difference in that young girl's life. And it's just so important. Yeah. It really is, you know. Yeah. There's so many kids that get lost. There's so many kids that get lost. I know. And so I do think that's where I think, why can't there be more families like us, right? Like, why can't there be more families like us that raise their hand and say, like, oh, I really don't want a baby, but all right, we'll suffer through those baby months, right? Because we can, like, because we can be there for this child and we can make sure they have a strong foundation and we can maintain the relationships that, like, this child has with their biological family and support them no matter what the outcome is. And there are a lot of families that could do that if they would be willing to. Yeah, well, good on you, really. So I, I want to ask you one last question that I ask all my guests, and this is about you. What is the one thing that no one would ever know about you unless you told them? So I will say I'm largely an open book, right? And um, the joke of my friends from high school and college is that I really haven't changed that much, right? Like I am still the same person, which, I, you know, I, I mean, obviously I've grown and matured and evolved um, as I've aged, but... Um, at my core, like I, I'm a pretty open book. I would say the thing that people are a little bit surprised by is that I don't really like talking to strangers. 
which you would be surprised by because I run a nonprofit. I have to raise money. I'm constantly in these conversations with strangers, but I find them really energy depleting. I find my family as something that gives me energy. I find my close friends as something that gives me energy. But, you know, all these things that I talked about doing in getting to know her extended family, um, this podcast, like I will come home tonight and I will collapse on the couch and ask to watch some bad TV because I find talking to strangers very exhausting. Um, ah, it yeah. burns you out, right? Like, yeah, so it burns you out emotionally as well as mentally, mm-hmm. it sounds like. Mm-hmm. And yet you're able to do that, to step outside yourself and step up for your daughter yeah. to make sure she had that yeah. extended family. Yes, and I always will, right? But it is, it's not my first choice, right? Wow. Well, I want to thank you for making the choice to do the podcast because yes. I want people to hear that there are foster parents like you out there that are making a huge difference to kids yeah. in care. Yeah. So Thank you. And that there's also good experiences, right? Like I really do think most people have a bad experience. That's real as foster families. It's hard, but it can also work out. Like it can, and it can work out for everybody, right? Like our situation worked out for everybody, which is wonderful. And, and right. Matters. But you also made it work out, yeah. Jen. Right? I, I put a lot of energy into that outcome. Yeah. yeah. So really, thank you for that. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jen, for sharing your story with us and for fighting to keep that little girl whose life is completely different now because of your support. Thank you so much for doing that. Our next guest is Jeremiah McWright. Jeremiah McWright is a former foster youth from Sacramento, California. At age 15, he and his four younger siblings were removed from their family and put into the foster care business, as he calls it. After two years and 15 placements, Jeremiah was shipped to a low-level group home in San Francisco, which closed shortly after. With no place to go, he went out on his own until he aged out. So join us next week for Jeremiah McWright. Thank you for listening and be well. If you see something, say something. If you suspect a child's health or safety is jeopardized in any way by parents or anyone else, contact the Child Protective Services Agency in your county. 24-hour hotlines are staffed by trained social workers who will help you through the process and you can do so anonymously. In California, you can call the Child Protection Hotline at 800-540-4000. So if you see something, say something. You might be saving a child's life. If you want to know more about becoming a CASA anywhere in the country, go to nationalcasagal.org. And in L.A., casala.org. And if you want to know more about becoming a foster parent, check out the National Foster Parent Association at nfponline.org. There's also faithfosterfamilies.org and adoptuskids.org. There's tons of other information online as well, so you can just hunt around. We also want to thank the supremely talented Christina Apostolopoulos for her beautiful original music. You can find her music on Spotify or Instagram at Christina Aposta. And also thank you to Yukon Har for his engineering. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear and you find it as valuable as we do, please rate us and hit subscribe. You can also make a donation at bonusbabies.org. See you next time.